0: Welcome to the Azure podcast, a weekly podcast to keep you up to date on what's new on our cloud platform, Microsoft Azure. Your hosts, Cynthia Crane, Evan Basilic, Suji Damello, Kendall Rodin, Kel Teeter, and Russell Young discuss a different service or solution on each show with subject matter experts to explain how to get started, how different services work, and how to make decisions in tricky scenarios. You can find out more about our podcast at Azpodcast.com or follow us on Twitter at Azure Podcast.
1: This is episode number 444 being recorded on the 26th of October, 2022, with special guest Mark Eisenberg. I'm Sujeet, and on Teams with me, we have Russell, Evan, Kale, and of course, our special guest Mark who we've had on the show before. So uh, I think everyone or most of our listeners know who Mark is. Uh, and we're here to talk about uh, a special uh, topic that came up uh, during the Ignite week last week uh, about Azure Innovations. Uh, Mark uh, offered to kind of dive into that, those announcements that uh, Mark Rosinovich made. And we're going to discuss that in just a minute. But before that, let's get into some of the news. I see, Kale. you had some Stuff out there you want to talk about?
0: Yeah, sure. I got two here today, uh, which are kind of random but uh, important things. We talked a little bit about uh, in the past on the podcast about uh, you know some of the AI and computer vision and uh, different features that we have in Azure to support those kind of workloads. There's a new image analysis uh, version 4.0 uh, with a new API uh, for OCR uh, for optical character recognition. So essentially this is uh, be able to support, this is kind of crazy, but it can actually support 164 different languages now, including like Arabic and Hindi and uh, all kinds of different languages from uh, you know just pictures. These are basically, you know it's a kind of an interesting blog post about how these are actually tested at scale uh, with our own products. Um, so if you look into the uh, kind of M365 line of products like like PowerPoint and Word and Outlook and things like this, uh, a lot of, you know, the backend that's being used there uh, is using some of these features as well. Um, so it kind of details and walks through, you know, what's going on there. Um, this is primarily around the computer vision, as I mentioned before, the the OCR piece, uh, and it also mentions our responsible AI and how we're kind of adhering to the policies we have there for that, which is pretty cool. Um, the second one kind of also goes along with AI, uh, but in machine learning. And this one's around the Azure, um, you know, GPT-3 stuff that we've been working on, along with a partnership with uh, NVIDIA. Um, they have some new uh, framework called Megatron uh, Nemo, uh, which is in beta right now. And basically, it's a way to, um, and, and this benchmark was basically run against this against 175 virtual machines uh, running in Azure, and it basically shows the training time and how these this new the combination of this technology along with uh, from nvidia along with our hardware in azure would would provide like linear scale for for training times uh, to basically show it's it's learning very fast right uh, and can drop off you know pretty much straight linearly you can look at the graph there which is pretty cool um, from a compute standpoint along with you know the the need for like this kind of stuff as ai becomes more prevalent um the ability to train these things in a in a rapid way. Um this is pretty awesome, you know, um to see the partnership between uh, <laughs> Nvidia and Microsoft. So uh all the results and everything are published up there. You can take a look at all the details. That's it.
1: Awesome. Thanks, Hugh. Uh I think uh, Evan and Russell, you guys had something as I, well? I, I, I don't
2: I don't have anything I don't think this week. Oh, the the DevOps employments. <laughs> but I think we're gonna hold that one until um we get somebody on the show, but I mean, in in short, these are, um, if you remember like the, I think it was GitHub workspaces, I think it was called, where you you could sort of access a pre-configured environment. This is taking that to the next level where it's got all your dependencies, you know, it's got all your, you know, all the other build environment stuff that you need. It's it's really that on steroids. So I think it really speaks to the complexity of maintaining a dev environment, as anybody who's been a dev ever is, it's non-trivial. Yeah, Kale just mm-hmm. said on the side, it's code spaces. Um this is taking that to the next level. So I think we're definitely going to get them on the show I've got it on my list to do this week.
3: From me, I just saw the um I saw App Service Environments being retired, uh version one and two. And I always look at these things and think, oh God, I've got to do something about this, because there's loads of people on that. And then I just realised it's only version one and two, which were the ones which were built on the old um cloud services model, um, hence why they're being retired together. And it's not actually happening until thirty first of August twenty twenty-four. Um, so you've got a while to migrate onto V3 for that. Um, but anyway, that was the only one that caught my eye. And like and, uh, all these announcements, they're so far away in the future, you, you've got plenty of time to do something about it. And, uh,
2: but then again, Russell, 2024 isn't as far away as it used to be. It sounds like it's really far out, but yeah. Um, well, you
3: listen to what Carol was saying about, you know, how fast AI is moving and you know, the, our ability to do yeah. stuff that much faster now. And some of the stuff from Ignite that we're going to talk about later on um, today, I think, yeah. Just incredible isn't it the, the pace it is and the, and the pace uh, improvement
4: it is yeah but so it's funny because being on the support side um <laughs> and we i just went through i didn't have to deal with it fortunately the c sams did but the we announced uh the the deprecation of basic uh tls i think you know basic yeah. authentication yeah. Yeah. and three years and then we had people coming up two weeks before the deadline when we were going to turn it off going why didn't you tell us? <laughs> and, and we and we pushed it out a couple of times too, Mark. Yeah, right? and we it, pushed right? it out. So, we yeah. we allowed them to apply for a three-month extension. We pushed again yeah. to the December 31st, but you know, there's a whole finger-point. This means you at this point. Yeah. And, well, now they've, um, they've
3: got no excuse now because we've announced it on the Azure podcast. So you know, everyone- <laughs> there you go. That's <laughs> right. If you
4: don't know now, then but um, but the the whole no, one mark. of the things that caught my eye in the in the devops handbook when i read it not that long ago was that 20% of each sprint is supposed to be for tech debt retirement and i'm starting yeah. to press this idea with yeah. the customers because they can kick the can on tech debt indefinitely yep um, and and then this is the exact kind of thing. You know, we give them two-year, a year, yeah, almost two years, and they're going to put it on their tech debt list, and they won't deal with it until June or July of 2024. So yeah. that's, a good you know, that's that's humanity. What can we do? Yep.
1: Yeah, no, that's that's a good strategy, uh, Mark. Uh, and uh, you know, before we kind of get started with Mark, I also want to point out that this week uh, is KubeCon uh, is happening up out didn't, somewhere didn't
2: candle out at it this yeah
1: week. yep is yeah. out there i think she did a session yesterday uh at kubecon and uh we'll put a link to that in the show notes uh i'm wearing my, my KubeCon jersey from a few years <laughs> ago uh, in support of that uh, but uh yep uh th- there's a few announcements there that uh, we should uh keep a note of maybe in the next episode for now let's uh turn the mic over to mark uh who uh I think our listeners know from before, but Mark, I believe you may have changed roles recently and uh, maybe another intro is in order here, so go ahead.
4: So I actually, I changed titles and all parts of the organization, the role is the same. You know how it is. (laughs) (laughs) So yes, I am now formally a cloud solution architect, which was cool because Sujit's been bugging me for like three or four years that I should be a CSA. And I was like, eh, I don't want to be that technical. So then they wind up giving me the title anyway. So, so now I'm a CSA Um, and yeah, I've been with Azure for those who don't know, I've been, I was one of the first four Azure sellers in the country. There were only 17 of us that, that year, that was the fall of 2009 when we launched Azure. So I've been at this for a long time. Um, I will say that with a lot of what I'm seeing customer facing right now, that the, the things that we knew needed to be done back then, those of us who were in the cloud know, um, The customers are finally catching up with you know going into the cloud to save money alone is and and not changing up your architecture not modernizing your architecture is really a kind of a non-starter so costs are getting out of control we've got one wave now of we're getting people onto reserved instances to try to cut some costs but that that's a one-stop move there's only so far we can cut those prices and so now the modernization work i think is going to start um, and then there's the fun stuff of just getting the application tier rebuilt. Uh, and that's why, how's this for a segue? That's why this session that Mark Russinovich did on Azure Innovation really caught my eye, because there is a disconnect between what we're doing with Azure, the innovation we're doing with Azure, and how we talk to enterprise customers about it. Um, we tend to talk about Azure with customers in their language, which is, sad to say mostly yesterday's language um and if you're in support which i guess um, some most of us have touched support at one time or another um you see the really negative outcomes from doing things in azure in a traditional way it's just not good and um so um so the things that he was talking about and and he, did you sujit did you get a chance to watch the session yes indeed yeah so he started with you know some you know, data center architecture stuff, which really was focused on cooling and power efficiency. And we've got some really impressive numbers going on there. And seeing him sticking his hand into a vat of, you know, 100 degree uh, coolant that evaporated right off his hands um, was really, you know, seeing, you know, server boards, you know, in the, um, you know, just buried, you know, you know, submerged in liquid is 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 an interesting experience. Anybody who's fallen in water with an iPhone in their pocket knows that's that's <laughs> that's a, quite a feat to make that work. No. Um and I he also mentioned I didn't realize this with um what was it called? Neptune Project, the submerged Project Natick.
3: Natick yeah, we had right. them this, yeah, we had them on they the the show had, a they, apparently
4: while. they were testing what pure nitrogen environments yes. there for cooling. Yes. Uh, so seeing how we've taken that experiment or starting to operationalize it in real data centers is pretty cool. Um, the, conf- the, the, um, confidential computing stuff, uh, cause I've always wondered, you know, it's why we encrypt at rest, we encrypt on the wire, but once it gets into the CPU, it's, you know, if you get code in there that hijacks it, there's nothing to stop, you know, you know, getting access to that. Yes.
2: I, I thought I actually thought the company you're, you're calling on the confidential computing, by the way, call a uh, 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 shout out to you, Mark, because I think <laughs> um, you're on your fourth time with us, which puts you at the, you know, at the top end. Um, you know, there's a couple folks that are tied with you, but you know, we're just putting it out fifth, there. You got to find a fifth I'm pretty, you're good. I'm pretty oh, sure. Fifth. I'm sorry. My fifth. bad. <laughs> my, my bad. Maybe. So maybe you are there. Um, but again, really appreciate you coming on over time. Um, the confidential computing piece, the piece that I didn't think about until um, Mark mentioned it during the Ignite session. Was the thinking this is really going to be the the norm, right? Confidential yes. computing is yep. not, it's not niche, it's not specialty, it's not something that you know for a subclass of customers. This is really, which I that sort of was my thinking personally, mm-hmm. you know, to the point where we think this is ultimately just going to be the way everything is is done.
1: Yes. It, yeah, I like the way that he paraphrased that. Like, you know, back in the day, TLS was something special, yeah. and now everyone uses TLS. Like, you know, nobody mm-hmm. does not use TLS, and it's going to be the same for uh for confidential yeah. compute in the future. Everything will be a confidential compute. There's no reason why you wouldn't use it.
4: But it's more of the hard sell, right? For us, we need to be. This is a phrase. Um, if you guys know Jim Priestley, he taught me. Um, strong opinions loosely held. Yeah. Right. And so this is going to so and that's what struck me about this session is that we get beat on a lot all the way to the product groups about how we're not doing what the customers need us to do. But we are doing really, really cool, innovative things. We just from the beginning of Azure, like I said, I was there from the beginning. And the first time I am I probably have told this before, the first time I saw DPE present. That was our evangelism team at the time present about Azure as 20 minutes in front of the CIO for the account I was on. And he talked for 20 minutes and I in my head, I went, so who cares? And, you know, and then it was like eight or nine months later, I got the opportunity to interview for this role. And I started reading Dave Chappell's white papers and all that kind of stuff. And I got it. Um, And we're still struggling there with. The the greatness that is cloud computing, the shift, the paradigm shift that it can represent, and how do we tell, talk to the customers about that when we're all wrapped up in how they want to do things? And like I said, pretty much the way they want to do things is yesterday's way. Uh, one of my favorite um, laugh lines these days is um, I would talk to customers about continuous delivery, (CD) jazz Humble stuff. And I said, here's how it goes. I will ask. Have you considered continuous delivery? And then I lean back and wait for the next 45 minutes as they tell me all the reasons they can't do continuous delivery. But they all say they're doing DevOps. Continuous delivery and DevOps are really joined at the hip, you know, from the automation and all that kind of stuff. So these are the conversations that, uh, and I'm hoping in my new role, actually, we get to drive those conversations. And to your point, Evan, about the confidential computing and casually you know, the throw off, you know, that this is how things are going to be done in the future, not if everybody just keeps doing things the way they're doing them. So uh, so yeah, that we we've built the cool stuff. Now the hard part start starts is changing people's minds. I think the so, yeah. the
2: thing that's neat when you when you talk about that evolution, because you know we we talked about this before Mark, you know, i I was right there with you in the early days and we were like PaaS is the thing. And and now our, now everybody's coming back around to PaaS. Um if we do it right, if we, you know, Confidence Computing and TLS I think are really good analogies because 99.99% of the time, the application developer or workload developer doesn't know or care what they're using from a, a connectivity perspective. It's just Correct. a REST call, right? right. It's a, We we call it an HTTP call, but under the covers that, you know, it could it may or may not be HTTP, it may be HTTPS right um i think confidential computing fits really well in that which is if we do our if we do the innovation right on the microsoft side customers just check a box somewhere that says yeah use confidential computing and nothing breaks nothing changes right for their workload now we're probably i don't think we're there yet today um but but i think that's the vision and i think when you think about the innovation that's really where the value is is making sure the innovation works well with what customers want to do because if you know when we were joking about the tls stuff if the if the, um, if the effort they have to exert to do that change is sufficiently high, right? If you can't, uh, if you can't exceed the activation energy, you're, it's not going to happen, right? So we have to reduce the
4: effort to get there while still yeah. getting them to think about it. But they still – right. And if he, I believe his demo there was combination of configuration and code. There was a code – yeah, so I that's where remember. it's different than TLS. You're right with TLS. We just flipped a switch. Dapper, you know, makes all that invisible, right? That kind of, it's all invisible. The service meshes make it invisible. So that one's pretty easy from an application tier perspective. But this one, the developers are going to have to change how they do it. At an uh, even broader level, and, and I've talked to a lot of people about this, and nobody's been able to say this isn't wrong. We've spent the last 30 years or so making the pipes secure trying to make sure that nobody gets onto a wire to see things that they shouldn't see. The reality, number one, I've not been able to confirm any known man-in-the-middle, successful man-in-the-middle attack. I can't find it. Um, Two, if you do proper API security, do a service-oriented architecture and do um, authentication and authorization checks, and we've made, to your point, Evan, with Azure AD and the like, we've made that pretty easy. To get that far it's not not really a problem but the developers still need to do it and i think with dapper we even pulled a bunch of it over into the dapper sidecar to take care of all of that but again the developers need to come along the architects need to come along i and i put them both together because i think the architects need to mandate it and the developers need to implement it um so that's why the confidential computing thing um I think falls into a higher tier and would require more effort on our part to get the people to actually change how they do things. And and
1: I believe- Yeah. I was gonna say, I believe right now with the way the, I think it's the SGX uh, chipset that we use in Azure for confidential compute. uh, There there is a specific SDK that you have to embed in your code to kind of wall off, uh, you know, the confidential part of your code versus the non-confidential part. And uh, and that's what that you're right. So that's the kind of barrier to entry right now. Developers mm-hmm. have to understand that SDK make the changes and test it and all that stuff. Uh, but where they're going uh, very soon now is they're going to have these things called confidential containers or confidential Kubernetes and confidential SQL. In which case, the, the developers don't have to do anything right Their Same containers just all will be encapsulated in this enclave, uh, in, in this secure enclave. And and what you were talking about earlier, the, some of the tooling and, and whatnot, is is more around the attestation, right? Uh, mm-hmm. You know, how how does somebody from outside know that this uh, call that I'm making is to a secure enclave, and that that secure enclave is the one that I am expecting, right? Like like it's like you know, Mark secure enclave versus Evan secure enclave. I want to call it like secure better. enclave, Mine's right? always
0: better. <laughs> uh, yeah. Probably you're more hands-on. <laughs> Yeah, just to follow on with that, with Sajid, I've been working, you know, with SGX for a long time, you know, as part of the blockchain work. Um, I think Sati even mentioned that Ignite, the, the managed CCF product, which is um, hinges on SGX and, and confidential compute. So the I think the challenge there, like that's been, and maybe it's becoming reality now, like with the container piece, with Kubernetes and things like that, is like, we can provide this, like, minimum bar like you can get yeah. into like confidential compute with it you're in there then but like to really take advantage of it the developers need to do something right um, they need to like provide these like attestations back and things like that and and maybe that bar will get lowered again as uh, innovation happens and things happen in the future but they're still like you can get in and you can be like i think we want the mass to get in there and start using that because they do get some benefit from that but if you really want to like push it and and do even more Uh, Then then it takes developer effort, you know, a bit. Right.
4: Yeah. Do you guys all know who Donald Knuth is? Remember him? Mm -mm. So he wrote the four volume algorithm set back in the 60s or 70s. He was like it was before the gang of four. There was and he had a phrase, I think, in one of the books and it says software is hard. So we can get to what a friend of mine used to call irreducible complexity. But at some point it's still complex and the developers got to get their stuff together and and participate in this. Um so we can bring all the innovation in the world, you know, to the party, but if people do not change how they're doing things, and and I used to have this talk track that CIOs will say we want to be able to reuse our existing skills, but we want to be better, faster, and cheaper. It's like, no. <laughs> it's like that is logically inconsistent. So um anyway, so yeah. Yeah, so you and that that particular demo was particularly cool where he breaks the key, he breaks the hash mm. and you get the error message. I mean, that was that was a really nice demo. I'm not a big fan of demos normally, but that one was really sweet.
1: Yeah, yeah, it, it, um, it brought the point home about the whole attestation thing. Right. Um
4: and yeah, I, I think mean, Yeah, he, yeah go, go ahead.
1: Go ahead. No, go ahead, Mark.
4: No, I was gonna move on to the next topic, so
1: yeah, I was actually kind of going back to what you started with, which is uh, you know the the density of the the boards. You started talking about how you know, these boards are, are kind of so tightly packed now. Right. Uh, and what I was uh, what I didn't realize is that you know we've been fiddling around with overclocking in our home PCs forever, and Mark himself does it, and now they're doing it on all the Azure.
0: Right. Uh, Yeah, that was kind of. They're overclocking
1: all of them, (laughs) so it looks like overclocking is the way to go. Now that they have the liquid cooling and and whatnot in there, uh, they can afford to to kind of get those. uh, I guess those boards and CPUs a bit uh, warmer than they used to. But uh, you know, I particularly like the fact that they're uh, they're uh, using less uh, energy, right? In this, uh, like I think they call the PUE number or something, uh, which represents the amount of energy going in versus I guess the amount of uh, i guess compute coming out and uh that number
4: is reducing uh, dramatically. the ideal now. is one right the target yeah. is one or is it target zero it, it should like be one. one yeah it should be it should one. in what one. you get what power you put in, in power is power what you, yeah right okay yeah. yeah
1: yeah 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 and there are i think almost like 1.02 i think is the lowest yeah
4: theoretical with the liquid cooling with that, we were
1: yeah with the yeah. magic thing yeah mm.
3: So, I think one was with the with the Nantic experiment, wasn't it? And the thing that surprised me with all that, and I think the thing that really linked it all together was that that fact that you know we, we're experimenting with liquid cooling because we can then do more density of where we're putting the boards of the computer or the rest of it. But I didn't I didn't realize we were building 50 to 100 new data centers every year, and that plan is still <laughs> going on. And when you think about that, and then the need for the you know the efficiency of that computer to get better, and that leads to then um more sustainability gains which obviously is important to the planet and our, our microsoft goal of um, of being net negative and all the rest of it so it's all again they're all things that we're innovating and doing that aren't necessarily driven for a customer today demand things that customers want and they know they're there but it's not something that you know other companies maybe are focusing on quite so much um so i really like the the fact those things are all linked together and that that way that all yeah. the innovation is is He's giving us gains in sustainability.
4: Yeah, and there, I was reminded, I forgot, there was another infrastructure topic, which was all the offload stuff.
3: Oh yeah, yeah. the FBFG stuff. You know, yeah. and, yeah. and the,
4: the numbers, you know, and the doubling of the the storage bandwidth and, and the network bandwidth. Um, and, you know, it's interesting. We are, I think we're still the largest software company in the world, and yet we're doing a lot of hardware work now. Very big in the hardware business, so. Um, so that was very impressive. I'm waiting for the, for me, the the nirvana on the FPGA stuff is the fact that you can actually, the, at the application level, reconfigure the hardware to optimize the hardware for the application. And uh, th- there's a lot of complexity in how you would actually make that work. Um, but that, to me, is like, that's a very intriguing idea.
1: I I thought they have SKUs in Azure that have FPGAs. They do. That's the the F-series stuff.
2: Right. Um, okay. But I don't the, know
4: what it's to use it. It's
2: actually funny because um, they do this. So so um, there's the, all the GPU-based stuff, right? has an FPGA mm-hmm. component. But if if you're using accelerated networking, it's offloaded to the FPGA. That's how we handle that. The FPGA right. handles the flow mappings and stuff. So you're actually using it. But are offline, we doing
4: it? it? Who writes that? who? Who's programming? We do that. The FPGA. So
2: we, yeah, we write that right. code at the end of the day. It's it's. Yeah, I think
1: Mark's talking about application code
4: running on the FPGAs, right? Uh, specifically, is that what you're? Or configuring to? the FPGAs to for the you know really customized offload. We're really good at the optimized side of it. Oh, and, I, know, see, we, I see. You know, we we see a bottleneck. We figure out how to use the FPGA, and then of course the pattern's been over the years of the semiconductor industry that you do it in an FPGA and then eventually fold it into some other, you know, you know, full custom chip. Um, mm-hmm. But the idea of, of at the application level, you can make it part of the architecture custom hardware. That's very, that's a very intriguing idea to me. And, and so, so uh, what
1: Evan, I think what you were saying is that FPGAs are, currently on the individual vms right or or, or the actual uh, servers they're, so they're
2: they're 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 in the racks and associated with any individual physical host under the covers
1: and i believe what uh, mark announced uh, at ignite is that now they have a, those fpgas have been offloaded to a standalone device okay that sits in front of all the vms i think uh, they're saying they built a system on a chip now yeah, with Marina yeah. with yep. maron linux uh, on it yep and so the FPGAs are on that like offloaded mm-hmm. device, which is obviously optim- uh, optimized. And so they, then that reduces the need to put the FPGAs in the actual host machines right. because the offload, mm-hmm. you know, the networking complexities have already been taken care of uh, before yep. they even get there. And, and therefore, they are able to, I guess, you know, more tightly pack, even more tightly pack. But those, that was not top GMC. of rack, right?
4: That was that was server by server.
2: I think it's still server by server with the SOC stuff okay. um yeah okay. I, I i have to think about the architecture stuff i'm pretty sure it
4: is um i liked how he showed the system yeah. on a chip with the fan and the fpga yeah. with the fins you know yeah and then the yep. actual adapters you know plugged in the end of it yeah it's an interesting piece of hardware and i was, was doubly e coming up so so i've got the background there
1: <laughs> what uh what did you guys think about the elastic sand that's the new uh i guess uh uh, where it uses Azure storage as a backing.
4: I thought that was pretty interesting. Yes. Yeah. About time. Yeah. <laughs> oh. I mean, that's been, really been kind of, well, that was an intriguing hybrid thing for me because that was sort of the vision from the beginning that, you know, the customers would change from traditional sand technology to, um, oh, sorry about that. Thanks. Um, see if we can there you force go. it to refocus. Okay. Okay. Um, but then the the we expected the, the customers would come off of the traditional sand technology. But now that we've done so much migration work, we need to embrace the sands because the lift and shift doesn't work very well without that and it's just a big lift. So to figure out how to do that within the construct of how our natural storage system worked was pretty impressive. And at that performance level was pretty amazing. And then you're that,
1: referring to the striping, right? The striping of the storage yeah, accounts that exactly. they introduced for SANS. Yeah, that was pretty. cool. Yeah. Yeah. I, that I
4: that think was it's a good preview, it. right?
1: Uh, uh,
2: yeah, I think so. I think it's public preview now because we announced it on the blogs as as well simultaneously. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that this goes back to your previous comments, Mark, around there's this real delicate balance in terms of evolving what customers are doing versus meeting them where they are, right? Um, and and trying to walk that line is tough from a technical perspective as well. It's just from a business perspective. And so the last example, will be interesting to see where it The goes.
4: technical part, I think, is the easier part. It's the, <laughs> it's the business. Right. Or, and I think I said this when we were doing the build recap. We use this phrase, meet the customers where they are. The customers are 10 paces behind us from a technology perspective. So that's not good for them. And it's not good for us. This is a partnership, you know our customers we convince them on the value of running their stuff in our data centers on our managed services it kind of i guess it's unstated that you kind of need to conform to how we do things that's part of the give get you give up some control you get a lot of value um and that's not how we've been managing the customer base so that that's a story we need to get a lot better at telling you know going great. forward great so um yeah, so I I, Russia, yeah, you uh, can tell cuz I've been Russia, doing Australia, it a yeah, long it time work. the whole meet the customers where they are thing, it just doesn't it doesn't work for us and it in the end it doesn't work for them either. They wind up unhappy. And the problem I have with customers who wind up unhappy in Azure is they blame Azure. And that's also why this particular session excited me cuz it kind of gave me a fresh injection mm-hmm. of how good we are at this and how it's not being properly, you know, really leveraged by the customers. Um, and then you're right about the sand. That really struck me as that was a way of meeting the customers where they are kind of on our terms. And and so that was a good thing. Uh, so the next thing he talked about was the I believe was the Azure Container Instances work that we're doing. the doing the warm um, capability there to spin them up faster. But what really struck me about that presentation, because the performance was cool and the demo was nice, but he said, we believe this is the future. This is the way things are gonna be done. And I have not heard ACI mentioned in front of customers in a long time. And so we need to get on this, this is the model. The the self-managed Kubernetes, it's it's not working. It's 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 the customers doing more of the same things on a different platform, but still doing it the same way. Reuse our existing skills. I've been involved in a couple of cases recently where we're trying to troubleshoot what's inside the container. The operations guys have no idea what's inside the container. And when you ask questions like, well, do we have logging to show X to see what's going on? No. Um, And so this is what I call the big shift left, um, where all of these decisions, all these conversations need to shift to the beginning of the process your application architecture, your data architecture, your DevOps, your your observability. All of this stuff can be trivially built in while it's still on the whiteboard in the conference room. And I don't want to be sitting there in prod trying to help somebody. And, and this was a live cluster with a customer on it, trying to help them. debug, And they don't have observability in it. And then what do we do? Start guessing? Not my favorite way of troubleshooting things. So so that was the thing about the ACI thing that that really that that we believe this is the future. Well, if we believe that, then we need to evangelize that and we need to start convincing people that's the way to go.
3: Yeah, I I quite like that transition that you made from talking about elastic sounds, support SCSI interfaces and stuff like this, which, you know, phrases I haven't heard in a long, long time. (laughs) And And then the phrase was, you know, the future of infrastructure is containers. And. I've not really heard of it expressed in that way. It's always been about, oh, the future of app development is going to be containers. And that's how we app developers can look at doing things. But actually looking at it from an infrastructure point of view makes much more sense. And then serverless container hosting with ACI, it, it it just makes a lot more sense in terms of how you can deploy stuff, manage stuff. Um, guarantee all that consistency across container. So it's just brilliant. Yeah, I thought he he did a really good job on that that segue. And all that infrastructure stuff kind of just disappeared out of my head again, which was great.
4: Right. Yeah, <laughs> and, exactly. And, uh, and you're right about, about the one. app value from the containers, but then the ops guys have hijacked mm-hmm. Kubernetes and are using it as a virtual, basically a a, a fine grain virtualization layer. Yeah. Right? We haven't really leveraged the benefits of it. But we talk about it all the time at Build and Ignite and all that. But that's not what I'm seeing enterprise developers doing right now. So we got a lot of selling to do. So, how does Sorry, that work? Sorry, that's an evil a word. I guess I should uh, work.
1: That. <laughs> how does this warm pooling work? Uh, like you explained about the warm pooling, right? With ACI. What was the yes. concept? Is that the entire con- uh, container group is kept alive? Uh, I, I didn't quite get the sense of that.
4: Yeah, you can basically because there's a spin up time and that was what the demo showed. If you do a cold start, it takes a while to bring the containers up. I don't know why. I don't know what the mechanism is there, but it takes a while. All right. If you have a highly elastic application, you don't want to have to wait on that. You don't want to take an hour to bring up your, you know, your cluster of containers. So we're giving you the ability to pre-warm. I think we call them pre-warming. All right. So that they're loaded up and ready to go. I'll be curious to see how the cost, the price models, if you're not using it, you don't pay That's for what it. Otherwise, wondering. the economics breaks. Right. Yep. But we're consuming capacity by keeping these things live. But if you remember in the earlier, I think he did a way updated the hypervisor demo earlier in the in the session. And we can do all of this stuff now in fractions of a second or, or just a few seconds. So I suspect we're using that kind of technology to warm these things up and then park them and then get them back in. So we don't necessarily give up all of the capacity. All of the software part is warmed up, and we, we're getting good at the hardware part happening quickly.
2: Well, remember, too, on the hardware layer, th- this is the benefit of, of from a hyperscaler perspective in, in that you may not need a container right now. You might need it an hour, but somebody else needs one now. Right, right? Yes. so we can sort of level, we can sort of peanut butter over the peaks and valleys of any all the uh, all the average customers to make that mm-hmm. work out in the end that you know right. you could never do that if you had your own you know your own uh hypervisor or your own data center because you just don't have enough breadth to cover that mm-hmm. so i'm I'm but, sure that plays into it
1: and I, and i feel like you know the application developer also has to play a part in this uh container pre-warming thing because yes. the containers themselves have to start up right if you have like you know this Awful uh, system where it takes like, you know, you have to have a big initialization routine and and all that in every container. Uh, That's going to defeat the purpose, right? Uh, It's still going to take a long time to start up. And so you have to come up with an architecture that does make those containers lightweight, uh, quick to start up. Uh, I know Mark would love if I go into a microservices discussion, but you know uh, uh, that's
4: uh, my thing still.
1: Don't get uh, me to spend enough to time these, on it. Keep keep these things lightweight. Uh, but we got a few minutes left, and I wanted to jump onto kind of the last topic, which is of course quantum uh, computing. Uh, so, Mark, what's your what was your takeaway from that?
4: Um, early days. I mean, it's. You know, because I'm also involved in the uh, like the avatars and teams and the the new headset. I got I got the new uh, Quest headset here and people want to be down on this kind of stuff that's out in the future. But just like with Elon Musk, if we if somebody doesn't try to build it and then start to drive it down the cost curve and the efficiency curve, then it never happens. And so, uh, you know, to, what impresses me is that we're putting the effort in Um it's I think it's risky because if I understand what he was saying is that there's a theoretical construct that we still need to make real. You know, it needs to be you know, we need to manifest it physically. And until we do that, we are not going to be able to make quantum real. But we have sorted through all the different ways. And this is what we're putting our efforts into.
1: Yeah. And and I sort of heard that uh, they did demonstrate that it is possible that uh, topological quibit uh, that they were talking about. Uh, they have a uh, demonstrator. Oh right, they got the it, one. It, yes, it, they got one. They got it to work reliably, and so now it's a matter of, I guess, you know, because you need millions of those uh, or, or or many right. m- many of them in a in a typical quantum computer, and so this the usual things of how do you pack them all together, you know, uh, because you you don't want to taking up a whole room, right? It still has to be. Right. Uh, uh, Densely packed. So, but I was impressed with uh, the way he characterized some of the problems that you can solve with quantum computing. I mean, he basically said you could you can solve world hunger with quantum quantum computing. Yeah,
4: that was cool. Uh,
1: And then reverse global warming. You know, I mean, because some of these problems are so hard. That they would take traditional computers years to figure out, right? How to uh, how to do what's the correct algorithm or the correct distribution method for food, or or uh, or or you know uh, the the right amount of carbons uh, to be sucked out of the atmosphere. Uh, I thought that that was,
4: uh, you know you yeah, should... didn't talk about the Frankenstein monster aspect of it. Supposedly, mm-hmm. all encryption techniques that we have are out the window Yeah, quantum, with quantum. Is real. Yeah. And in I, this uh... world, with humanity being what it is. <laughs> You know,
1: I was thinking about that, Mark, when he talked about this this thing. And I mean, from and I've done a little bit of QShop programming, uh, you Mm -hmm. know, so I have a little bit of insights into it. And it's mostly about calculus, right? I mean, QShop is mostly a calculus calculator or or solver. Mm -hmm. Uh, And at least from my, and so from my perspective, I don't know if, uh, I mean, I don't know enough of the algorithms that I used uh, in um, in TLS and all that, but uh, I don't think that, you know, it, it will solve those kind of problems maybe it can be bent to solve those kind of problems but i don't I don't think it directly solves this problem it solves physical problems right problems that we uh we we come across in the physical world are, are able to be solved in a quantum computer so uh you're, i you're thought trying the to, point of it I, though
4: was that it it it's able to do math with all values at one time
2: yeah i would say it's the it's the calculation capabilities right the problem the now we're going to get into cool tls stuff (laughs) but like tls is all about none of those none of the tls algorithms are unsolvable from a math perspective it just takes so much time to solve that it's not worth the effort um for any one you know any one connection or you know or, or, or packet that's encrypted if you make the computing power sufficiently faster Again, the implementation is certainly you know, up for yeah, debate. Yeah, yeah. But if you make it sufficiently fast
4: now, those aren't hard problems right. anymore. That's, a that's massive, my understanding of yeah, The analogy for me is that it's a mass, really massively parallel way to yeah. attack a math problem, which yeah. seems like that would just tear. Because you're right, if you iterate through a decryption, then that takes a long to crack it. That takes a long time, even with the scale we can bring to it. But my understanding is, is that quantum will break all that down. And then we'll have to figure out a different way, maybe using quantum to actually encrypt things safely. (laughs) Yeah. Or we can learn to trust each other. Oh, right. Never mind. Yeah. We'll back to quantum there. Yeah. We'll go back there.
1: (laughs) right, Mark, Uh, any kind of last closing thoughts as we wind up here?
4: No, like I said, it was just like, for me, it was a shot in the arm of, you know, that how good we are at innovation. Um, And so I think, with my new role this csa developer advocate role that i'm in in addition to trying to change how people do traditional things i want to start to you know get people enthusiastic about what's coming not selling the roadmap that's a different conversation but and then start to get people more in the mode of being able to change how they do things uh, again from the development the devops handbook i was fascinated because i think it was etsy that was quoted as they have evolved their architecture five times in whatever the life of the company is you won't find an enterprise that's that's pulled that off their normal way is they get pushed to the wall and then start over um and so i think there's a lot of stuff and the fact that we're you know that we have done all of this stuff and bringing our skills to it and our innovation is very exciting to me still great great awesome well, thanks
2: for, well, thank- thanks for coming back mark always good to see Hey, you.
4: my pleasure thank you as always thanks folks
0: thank you for listening to the show If you have any thoughts, questions, or just want to connect, find us on Twitter at Azure Podcast. Background music has been taken from ccmixer.org under the Creative Commons license. We hope you'll tune in again soon to keep learning with us.